This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live, the show where we dive into the political realm in search of the culture warriors who are fighting in return for some much needed sanity in the world. Today's guest has been fighting longer and harder than most of his peers. I once described him as the last Menzian politician in Australian Parliament. He is the Blue Ribbon Liberal, or former Blue Ribbon Liberal, by, found, hounded by the, the broad church scoundrels of the wet and hopeless moderate movement. We're joined, of course, by the leader of the United Australia Party, Craig Kelly. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, now, great to be with you today. Politics has been quite a ride for you, first as a Liberal in the seat of Hughes and now as part of Clive Palmer's mm. UAP. Take us back to the young Craig Kelly. What was it that made you <laughs> want to be a politician? Yeah, look, I, I've always had an interest in uh, politics, but, you know, as most people are, you, your first priority is your your family and your business and your work and your sport and, and, and politics is the distant second as you're in your sort of 20s and, and, and 30s. Um, when I got to my sort of 40s, I, I grew a particular interest in a competition law and I thought that for all the good things that, um, you know, the Howard government were doing, the one thing that they were missing the beat on was in the area of competition law, which uh, antitrust law, as they call it in the USA, we have many uh, provisions here in Australia that they don't have uh, in the in the USA, which enables great accumulations of very large businesses uh, here in Australia. And I thought a lot of the policy area in the Howard government was wrong, so I joined the Small Business Association and started lobbying uh, in that area. You know, sort of you turn up on the first day, I'm, I'm happy to do anything, I'll lift the stamps or I'll address the envelopes or something. And um, I quickly realised that if I wanted to sort of, you know, have a, have a go, I had to put my hand up by myself and I was Fortunately, I lived down in the, um, the electorate of Hughes, down in the Sutherland Shire area, and the sitting member then was uh, a lady called Dana Vale, and uh, she'd been there for, I think, three or four terms, and uh, I went and saw her, and I wanted to say, look, Dana, you know, this is after the, the Liberals lost to Kevin Rudd in 2007. I said, Dana, I said, you know, look, you, know, you guys, I think one of the reasons the Howard government lost in 2007 is because a lot of your small business constituency deserted you you were seen a bit too close to the big end of town and abandoning small business. I think that's one of the reasons you lost. Now, she's, you know, Dana's a, uh, you know, sort of a beautiful little old lady and she's gone and closed all the blinds and closed the windows and she said, I've got something to ask you. She says, I'm going to retire at the next election. Why don't you put your hand up and run? I thought, oh, well, how, how fantastic is that, Joe? I didn't realise at the time that asked a thousand other people had all said no. <laughs> So I, I, I decided to um, um, actually I joined the Liberal Party. And I first thought that was a bit of a didn't know that was a bit of a con to get you know sort of a hundred bucks membership fee out of me. But I, 
I joined the Liberal Party. I put my hand up, um, you know, basically as, uh, you know, unaligned, not knowing, you know, people said, what faction are you in? And I sort of said, well, factions? I didn't think the Liberal Party had factions. <laughs> quickly did I, quickly did I learn. And I somehow fluked my way through the, uh, the pre-selection in 2010 and went on to win um, uh, three elections for the Liberal Party, or actually four elections for the Liberal Party, 2010, 2019, uh, 2000, sorry, 2010, 2013, 16 and 19. And I became a bit disenchanted uh, with things in the last uh, parliament. And that's when I decided to uh, firstly run as an independent. And then the offer came up to lead the United Australia Party. Oh, the young and naive Craig Kelly, who didn't realise the factional mm. war was taking place above him. But to be <laughs> honest, the best politicians are always the ones who aren't part of the factions because they're there for a reason that is genuine. And on that point, service is a huge part of why the best people enter into politics. Has it been rewarding for you representing a community for so long? Oh, look, I have absolutely uh, no regrets. And, and it's a, it, it's a difficult balance you have to get. There's the balance of representing the wishes of the community and there's also the balance of leadership as where if you think that the senior leadership of the government and the party is in the wrong direction and it's going in the wrong direction of the country, even though that may be an unpopular step in your electorate when with your constituents, sometimes you've got to put your hand up and you've got to argue the minority case and try and convince people over time uh, that you are correct. Uh, that's the, the route that I took in the, in the last parliament. I thought we were doing terrible uh, decisions with the, the lockdowns, with the mandates, uh, with the, you know, t basically taking away the freedom of the doctor, the, sa the, do the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship, destroying that. What I thought were fundamental freedoms that were the Lib Liberal Party policy that we seemed to abandon uh, for some short-term, uh, you know, short-term popularity, I thought that was wrong. I, I acknowledged that, you know, the constituency that I had uh, didn't agree with that. They were, you know, everyone was running around in a mad panic and, and like the lockdowns. But sometimes you've got to stand up for what you believe in rather than just uh, follow the crowd. I have a sneaking suspicion that every year that passes will lay down on the side of your opinion on this one because as we see uh, more and more, not only are you allowed to now freely speak on social media because it's been admitted, <laughs> but history looks quite harshly on those who acted irrationally and cruelly during times of hardship. Mm. So let's hope that... Uh, it, you know, there's some kind of maybe. A well, on that, on that, I'm still, I'm still censored on Facebook, and we only found out this week from uh, you know the Freedom of Information request from Alex Antics that we had our Australian Department of Home Affairs uh, spying on people's Facebook posts, not over home affairs issues, you know, national security issues, but over COVID issues, and dobbing them into Facebook. Now, oh. I'd like to know if the you know, Department of Home Affairs was, you know, was, was, that, was that the reason why my Facebook page was cancelled? You know, was I dobbed in by the Department of Home Affairs, a government agency, dobbing in a member of parliament that was criticising government policy? I find that shocking. And whether or not you were dobbed in by a member of uh, the Australian bureaucracy or whether it came from the international social media giant, either way, it's unacceptable for someone who was elected, let alone mm. anybody else, to be censored on matters like these. Mm. But being a blue ribbon liberal for most of Australia's history was an entirely respectable and honourable position to take on the political stage. And then two mm. things happened. 
the Liberal Party lost its nerve and the left successfully sold the narrative that conservative politics is evil. Mm. Do you feel as if you mm. were caught in the middle of the Liberal Party's existential crisis during your last term? Look, I was very disappointed with um, the direction the Liberal Party took. It was completely contradictory to the values and the principles that the Liberal Party have. Look, we have a, a document called What We Believe In that basically says we believe in the fundamental values and freedoms of all people uh, to be and to keep government interference in your life to a minimum. Well, we basically got that and we tossed it out the window and we interfered in, in people's lives like we've never done before in this country. To think that um, you, know, you could no longer go to your doctor and have a frank discussion with your doctor uh, in that, you know, that's normally you close that uh, doctor's door and the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship should be something of fundamental value to all Liberals. But yet we threw that out and we had a big uh, apparatus in Canberra that said if the doc this is the script the doctors must follow. If the doctor doesn't follow this script, that doctor is stripped of their job. That was the just absolute outrage. Uh, the fact that we would basically, um, you know, in Canberra virtually mandate or, or close a blind eye, we allowed many federal bureaucracies uh, to mandate compulsory medical interventions. We stood by and, and watched it happen uh, in the private sector. Now, uh, you know, to mandate a medical intervention is a clear breach of our human rights obligations. Uh, there's a treaty we've signed. It's the International Treaty on Bioethics and Human Rights, which has against clause, I think, six or seven, which basically says you cannot force someone to undergo a medical intervention with threats of prejudice or disadvantage. And that's what the Liberal Party did. They forced, they forced medical interventions upon people with threats of job losses. And I just thought that was the greatest disgrace and the greatest shame of the Liberal Party. We should have stood up for those values. And even if they weren't popular at the time, over time they would have been shown to be correct. And you mentioned earlier, like every single day that goes by, uh, every position that I took uh, arguing against uh, what the party was doing uh, is shown to be right and every day just shows it was more and more correct. We've seen a, you know, a, a news article out today uh, saying how devastating the lockdowns were and the lockdowns caused more harm than good. I was arguing that case when the lockdowns were on, but we had the state, um, state premiers and also the prime minister at the time almost blinded what the adverse consequences were. All they could see was what were the COVID numbers that would be read out tomorrow without giving a thought about the long-term damage that was being done by the lockdowns. Well, I have to say, and this is where we need to thank uh, Clive Palmer because he didn't have to throw his money behind the freedom movement. There was no, mm. he had no need to, but he chose to stand up and uh, mm. help people like you to stand for the community. And that is uh, wonderful. And also just as a private citizen, by the way, Craig, it was only you mm -hmm. and a couple of other people who were standing in Parliament caring about Australians who were locked in their homes, who'd lost their jobs, whose family mm -hmm. and friends wouldn't speak to them. We were locked down for longer than anybody else because they kept us inside sure. trying to punish us. And it was difficult, but to know that some politicians like yourself were there really helped. So thank you. Um, but mm -hmm. you have lived off hard work and dedication while many in your profession have been mothered from cradle to election by the machine of politics. And some of your peers mm. sneered at your past, just as they did with Senator Pauline Hanson. Is there an air of elitism inside Canberra that is detrimental to the oh, political look, they're, institution? They're definitely. Look, I, I went to, let me tell you, when I left high school, I went to university. I was doing an economics uh, law degree. Uh, I did the first year with, you know, flying colours. I 
My golf handicap got down to the lowest it's ever been because you have so much spare time as a university student. And um, during that long break that they have during university, the long sort of like uh, Christmas summer break, I started to work. I was working with my uh, my father in my family business, and uh, at the time there was a change in the um, re- trading relationship with New Zealand. And I could see all these business opportunities with the change of the trading relationship with New Zealand. Uh, I learned so much being out talking to people on the ground. I, when I went back to go for the second, I said, "Hang on a minute." I thought I've actually learnt more during the break than I actually learnt studying as far as business and law and the way the economy works. So I said, look, I'll go back and I'll finish my uh, university course part-time. So I um, you know, re-enrolled to do the rest of the course part-time and I, I lasted one day. I realised it wasn't possible to, um, you know, to, <laughs> to, to do a university course part-time and continue to try and work you know, as, as hard as you had to in the private sector uh, to make a dollar. Uh, and then basically I've informally studied uh, since then. So that was that uh, almost 40 years I've informally studied and I've spoken to everyone. I've, you know, I've continued to, uh, you know, I, I, I love talking to people, meeting people uh, from different industries and discussing how their business model works and discussing the economy. And and then you get these doofuses that have come out of university that are sort of wet behind the ears and they go, I have a certificate. You know, I'm a university, I have a university certificate, you know, uh, I should be the advisor and I know I'm so smart, you know. And the reality is, I hate these things. They don't know what they. What do you say? They don't know S from clay. Uh, that's that's the reality of uh, the reality of life. And one of the very interesting studies that came out during COVID was those that were sceptical of the vaccine, and they bracketed in education stance. They had PhDs at one end, uh, then they had like you know university graduates, uh, technical people with technical degrees, people with no technical degrees, and it was sort of a, a slope that went sort of like this. So if you're a PhD, if you had a PhD, you were more likely to be sceptical of the vaccines. If you had no formal education, you were also more likely to be sceptical. But if you had a university degree, you were less likely to be sceptical and more accepting. It was quite an interesting uh, uh, analogy. You know, sometimes street smarts account for a lot. Yeah, well, you've described the uh, phenomena perfectly. And I have to admit, I had a sort of allergic reaction to university as well, because when you went to university, you weren't learning much. But the generation currently in university, they're <coughs> unlearning anything they actually managed to learn before. They're getting That's more right. stupid. So it's it's detrimental to go into higher edu- education right. now if well, you want I, to succeed. I think that I was actually so, it, getting out after a year, I was saved from being brainwashed by Marxist le- lecturers. Well, I think it was the best thing to... For my education, the best educational thing I ever did was to get out, uh, do a, did a year, get out, and sort of have a background of understanding, and then been able to you know, learn, uh, you know, learn on the practical side of things. Yeah, well, anyone who walked into our retail industry and said, "Hey, I've got two degrees," is like, "Okay, well, we're not even going to interview you. That's it. You're out. We're not interested." But uh, going back to what you were talking about before with Facebook. There is nothing more dangerous than allowing anonymous fact-checking authorities to stop ordinary people questioning the decisions of bureaucracy. Now, Craig, you have fallen afoul of these powerful Silicon Valley fact-checkers when you were banned from Facebook. And I remember the headlines included admissions from the Labor member party members that your political um, uh, reporting videos were banned by them. They were reported en masse. Were you shocked to discover that your political opposition could have you removed from a social media platform? Look, it was it was an outrageous period of history, and I'm still I said, I'm still banned. Now, there is 
There is not one thing that they can point to that I said that was wrong. Not one single thing. Whenever I was talking about COVID issues, I'd always cite it with a published scientific paper or the opinions of an, a quali- not just an expert, a qualified expert. You know, people like, you know, Professor Thomas Brody. So I quoted, for example, one example, I quoted an article from Thomas Brody, I think it was published in The Spectator at the time. Not banned, banned, you know. Uh, so, you know, Professor Barodi, one of the medical geniuses of this country uh, and of the world, a uh, national treasure, uh, quoting his views, got you banned on Facebook because, uh, as you said, probably some university graduate thought that was uh, against the, against Facebook's so-called you know, community standards, which were the narrative to protect vested interests. Well, let me just quote... I also had to remember had YouTube, we had YouTube as well on this. Yeah, I was going to say, let me, just, let me just quote here from Google, because I've got a quote here, from Google's Director of Government Affairs and Public Policy, and I'm going to quote them now. They said, We certainly are doing everything in our power to stop him and every other person who might promulgate <laughs> misinformation relating to COVID or others on our platform. End of quote. Now, the official public health advice uh, turned out to be misinformation. Not you, but the government advice turned out to be misinformation. Mm. I mean, well, this, this is this extraordinary. Is a lesson, this hopefully is a lesson that will be learned of why you must have allow free speech and debate to go on. I think what was one of Menzies' great quotes, he says, uh, it's the contest of ideas. He said, often today's truth is tomorrow's fiction and the reverse, you know, today's fiction is tomorrow's truth. And that's why you've got to allow the free debate to go on. You know, so one side puts their ideas up, the other side puts their ideas up and you have this contest of ideas to find out which is best. That's that's how our Western civilization has progressed. You well, think everything that we do today, almost in every area of life and every field of technology or industry, it's, it's improved from the past because someone said, hang on a minute, that's wrong and there's a better way of doing it. And if you close that down, you close that route down, you close down that debate. And to think that, remember, we had Google uh, and YouTube censoring the proceedings of the Australian Parliament. So there was, I know there were several posts, several speeches that I gave in federal parliament, I think George Christensen and a couple of others, that Google decided, no, 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 we're going to censor the proceedings of the Australian Parliament. Now, that goes against like, you know, 400, 500, 400 plus years of, uh, you know, the traditions of Westminster Parliament where uh, what is said on the floor of Parliament is protected. So, you know, that's why you have, uh, you know, you can't be sued for what you say on the floor of Parliament. Um, you get parliamentary privilege. But to think we allowed these foreign big tech companies to come in to censor the proceedings of the Australian Parliament and more so say interfere in the Australian election. Remember, during the, during the last federal election, I'm prohibited from having a Facebook page and yet all my competitors in the seat of Hughes were able to have Facebook pages. There were Facebook pages parroting me and attacking me and I wasn't able to have a, a Facebook page because of the policies of Facebook. That was direct foreign interference in the Australian election because those Facebook, based in America, Zuckerberg and his mates, we're all trying to protect the other vested interests of investments that they had in other big American pharmaceutical companies. Well, I just want to ask you a more serious note on that point. If a ruling political party teams up with digital social media giants to control the political conversation of the public, is that not a type of fascism, Craig? 
Absolutely. And this is why we need laws to protect freedom of speech. Now, you know, the common carrier laws were brought in, you know, uh, you know tradition of, of US, uh, sorry, of um, UK common law and brought in, in legislation in the US that you have, you deem certain industries and certain businesses as common carriers and they can't discriminate and not supply certain people. It uh, happens in transport, it uh, happens like in accommodation. I mean, you can't turn someone away from your hotel uh, because of their political views. You can't, Australia Post can't not decide to deliver the mail for some company because of their political views. So we need to declare uh, large foreign media platforms, and that's the difference. These people are platforms, not publishers. So if they're a platform, a simple rule should be, if you're lawfully able to say it, uh, say something in the soapbox on a in the town square, it should be unlawful for that foreign media platform to censor you. So if I can go down to the town square, uh, you know, pull out a soapbox on a Sunday down at the markets and sort of start to talk about uh, certain things, uh, political issues, uh, as long as I'm talking lawfully, that is, I'm not defaming anyone or I'm not inciting uh, violence against any other person, that speech should be allowed on Facebook and YouTube and these big social media platforms. And we need laws to protect that. Now, you know, there's some countries have suggested those laws. Now, we need to take that step. Uh, and that was legislation that we proposed as United Australia Party uh, if we were successful at the last election. But now what we see is that things are going in the other direction. We've got the Labor and Liberal Party wanting to have more censorship of Facebook and YouTube and and thank goodness that uh, Elon Musk took over Twitter and basically took the chains off Twitter. So things about uh, on, on ivermectin, uh, early treatments, hydroxychloroquine, molnupiravir, remdesivir, um, and the effectiveness of the vaccines, thankfully they can all now be spoken about openly on Twitter, but yet these subjects still can't be spoken about uh, on Facebook and YouTube. Well, Craig, I once called you the last Menzian politician in Canberra. Well, Menzies once said, today's truth is frequently tomorrow's error. There is nothing absolute about the truth. If truth is to emerge and in the long run be triumphant, the process of free debate and untrammeled clash of opinion must go on, end quote. Mm. Craig, has yeah, the UN... Magnificent. Sorry, just that magnificent. That was the quote I was trying to remember. You got the words... I didn't get the words right correctly, but uh, I'm not an orator like Menzies was. They're just magnificent words that should be inscribed in every office in Parliament House. Well, That's what they should be. Well, like, what does the Gen Z say today? You're on the vibe, which is uh, close enough. Uh, Craig, has the UAP taken on the spirit of Menzies? Look, I think we have. Remember that um, Menzies was originally the leader of the United Australia Party, and when he gave that famous forgotten people speech, he did so as a member of the United Australia Party. Now, yes, you know, the United Australia Party folded and we've, we're reusing that name, but I really think if you, if you look through that forgotten people speech of Sir Robert Menzies, that to me sums up what the United Australia Party stands for, uh, you know, for the, for the individual, for the freedom of the individual, for the importance of a home ownership. Um, you know, all these things about our society, if, if people have, if any, someone hasn't read it, there's a great video, I think it's Peter Cousins uh, uh, rates Sir Robert Menzies' speech, and I think it's the anniversary, it was only a few days ago. Um, you should listen to it. 
because that's the type of Australia that uh, that we we believe in, and we just see so many areas in this country that have gone completely off the rails, and we're continuing under this Labor government to continue head down this disastrous track. You know, this, look, this net net zero nonsense. The electricity prices in this country are just absolutely uh, outrageous. You only have to go back, uh, you know, to I think it was in the nineteen eighties. Australia had lower electricity prices than the USA. And then we about matched them up to about the year 2000, 2005, 6. And then we had this mad experiment that Kevin Rudd brought in about, oh, let's get all these cheap renewables into the grid. Won't that be wonderful? Well, since then, our electricity prices are now more than double what they are in the US, uh, more than double. And in most, many states, uh, the US, you know, they're three and four times higher what they are here in Australia. Um, uh, you know, I mean, so it's the other way around. Like the states, if I compare, say, a state like Wyoming or Nebraska to the electricity prices in Australia, we are paying here four to five times more than what they are paying in states in the US. Now, that has destroyed the competitiveness of Australian industry. It sucks so much money out of everyone's uh, you know, pay packet. But most of all, it, it makes this winter coming up, it's cold enough as it is now, and we're still not even into winter time. Uh, this winter, we are going to see many elderly Australians uh, that have, you know, fought and struggled all their lives, being unable to afford to heat their home in winter, and that is going to have dire consequences for their health. And that is because of all these remarkable renewables that we've had, all these cheap renewables. And you know, to have someone like uh, Chris Bowen in charge makes me very fearful of the, the direction that we're going in the energy sector. Well, as we finish up here, the most important lesson of the 20th century was that appeasement does not work. Now, conservatives across the nation, indeed across the world, are appeasing the Marxist and globalist radicals. Mm. Craig, where is this leading us? What's the ch great Churchill's quote? The appeaser is one who feeds the crocodile, hoping to be eaten last. And if you look at the last election, that's what happened to uh, several of my liberal colleagues that instead of standing up and fighting these teals and fighting these greens and arguing the case that uh, net zero is a ruinous nonsense that will damage our country, uh, uh, hand a political advantage to China and won't change the weather at all, instead of arguing that fight, they tried to appease the teals and the greens, people that will never vote for them in a month of Sundays. And what's the result? They were, they were eaten by the crocodile. And uh, we've got to take a, a... And again, the Morrison government were, were terrible at this. Again, appeasement, 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 appeasement. Now, you're going to have to take a leaf out of, uh, you know, Ron DeSantos's book in Florida, who went down the other track and said, you know, what do you say, uh, woke is where, you know, woke goes to die in Florida or something, and took on all these people. And he effectively turned what was a 50-50 a um, split at the previous election. He was on when he had to rerun last, I think it was early uh, earlier this year, when he had to rerun, he had effectively announced Australia in terms of 10% swing for him. So Florida is basically a 60-40 state uh, to, to Santos because he stood up and he fought for conservative values. So this idea that our conservatives win, you win elections from appeasing your enemies and going to the centre uh, is a nonsense. Uh, that's the way you lose elections and that's the way you turn the place into one-party states, uh, like we're seeing in Victoria now with the the tragedy and the economic uh, disaster that uh, Victoria is and, and the very bleak future that Victoria has for years to come because of the reckless spending of uh, you know, politi politicised 
reckless, politically correct spending of Dan Andrews. Well, honestly, the temptation to run around wearing an I was right T-shirt is very, <laughs> very strong, Craig. Look, and also... Yes, I've got a, I've, I'm working on a book called, uh, called Craig Kelly Was Right. And so far, I think I've got about 45 chapters. <laughs> and that'll be the bestseller. Absolute hands-down yes, bestseller. Yeah. Uh, and look, I hope that uh, UAP manages to use the Westminster system to its absolute maximum and bring some sanity back into our system because, frankly, I don't think the Liberal Party are going to manage to make it happen. So I would like to thank you, not only for coming on this show, but for your tireless efforts to protect the people of Australia from a morally bankrupt political class. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, appreciate it. Um, there's a lot of fight left in this dog yet, so thanks again. We look forward to it. That's all from us here today. I'm Alexandra Marshall. Catch you next week.